Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to Go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. So happy to be with you today. It is Tuesday, October 13th. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. I'm here with my big sister, Julie Dolan, in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Jewel, what's happening there? Anything? Hi, Leanne. I, I just love Tuesdays. You know, it's, this is fun to get together. And <laughs> it do, is. You know, I mean, I look forward to it, Leanne. I it don't is. know. Yeah, there's Thanks. Just- there's, yeah. there's something special about it. So. I feel the same way, Joel. I feel the same way. You know, the Tuesday show, it's just a it's just a show where we can really chit-chat. This is actually like a phone conversation we might have. So, uh, especially today, I think. <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed, <laughs> Leon. We are, we are going deep on some shallow topics today. So, Julie has some good news for coffee lovers. Yeehaw. Oh, you are going to be so happy when you hear this. You're going to be so happy. Okay. We, we uh, are doing a tech pod. So, if you're wondering about screen time for your baby or how to talk to your kids, we have that for you. I, I have to get a ruling on a wedding announcement I saw in the New York Times. Ooh. And then we're going to tackle something we have not tackled here on Satellite Sisters. And it's this question. Can I wear tights with open-toed shoes? Oh. Yeah. Okay, Julie, we're going we're gonna to get to that. You because... were really breaking new ground, Liam. Mm-hmm. Nobody yep. else is doing that topic. Yep. Okay. Uh-huh. And, then, and then, of course, we have our Madam Secretary recap at the end of the show. Uh, episode two happened this weekend. So we're going to be talking all about that. Um, but, Julie, first you want to talk about the contest. You're the best. It's exciting to know that people are getting their copies of the book now. I it's love... really fun to see, isn't it? I know. People are posting pictures of the book with their, with their coffee mugs or uh, in the box. I love it. Put up more pictures. But the other thing to remember is we are giving away copies of You're the Best, A Celebration of Friendship. We're doing it for, uh, we want to see pictures of your Satellite Sisters. So you can put it at our Facebook group page, The Satellite Sisters, or you can put it on our in- at Instagram at SatSistersYTB. That's the hashtag, SatSistersYTB. It is not too late to get in on the fun. Okay, we're still going to, we have two more weekends that we're going to be picking winners. So you still have a chance to win our random picking here. And we would love to send you a copy of a book. But more importantly, we'd love to see your friends. I mean, it's so nice to see all these smiling faces on the Facebook page and at uh, Instagram. I am enjoying it too. So Julie, you, you're in charge of this and you're doing a bang up job. And again, thank you for posting that you receiving the book and, and that you enjoyed it. It is a little weird when the book comes out sort of weeks before it's supposed to. So <laughs> I know, Leanne, you like control. I like control. And Amazon is not yeah. behaving. No, they're not behaving. They're but not behaving. Not- There's There was a system to all of this, but uh, but this contest has been a super bright spot. Really fun to see. Again, for more information about uh, our speaking events or anything else about the book, go to SatelliteSisters.com. That is your best resource there. But keep posting those pictures. They are really fun to see. Leanne, do you have a cup of coffee right now? I do, as always, Julie. Although I'm trying to cut back, but I I have two very strong cups of coffee every morning. 
Okay, so I have a, I have a, my cup of coffee. We even say that we we tackle we ta- tackle the world one cup of coffee at a time. Isn't that what we say here at Satellite? It Systems? is. It is. So I have I have some wonderful news. You know that you know there's this the question. It's been the unanswered question. Does coffee count towards your daily water intake? <laughs> have you ever had this de- debate with people? It's on the same level as can I wear tights with open toed <laughs> shoes? But yes, I I have. Okay, like, I have. Okay, okay. I mean, debate is it. kind of a strong word. No, I know it's not. Lee. Okay. Well, you know you're supposed to, you know, hydrate and uh, have eight cups of water or uh, a day. That's what you know. Right. And it it differs from person to person ba- based on your size. Actually, how much, how many cups of water you actually have to hydrate. But here's the wonderful news. You know that for a long time there was this this myth that. Somehow coffee does not count towards your uh, daily intake of water. But I have some good news for you, Leanne. Yeah. It actually does, uh, does count, can count towards your intake of fluids, okay? That coffee in many ways is healthier than a soda or sports drinks. And if you drink unsweetened coffee, which is essentially water, you're doing fine, Leanne. All you right. That is good news. Fine. Yeah. That's that is uh, that, you know, a lot of people say, uh-uh, you can't drink coffee. That's going to dehydrate diuretic, you. right, yeah. Yeah, uh-uh, uh-uh. Well, no. <laughs> the answer to that is no, Leanne, okay, from this day forward. In a recent study that they find that coffee, in fact, does hydrate you. They also tested it with other um, liquids that, um, you know, they did, they, they did the same study with beer. And while beer gives you a big hangover, if you try to hydrate yourself with beer, you do end up hydrated. Isn't that amazing? Really? I thought the whole point, of, really? Yes. No, okay. Just stick with me. But I'm going to go back to the coffee. Okay. I got a little off track there. You did. I don't, I, okay. That sounds okay, like so one go, of those facts Sheila pulls out occasionally. No, no, no. I know. It does sound. I, got a, I took a left turn. Okay. But stick with me, Lydia. Okay. That you can count your two cups of strong coffee, okay? Because mm-hmm. you drink it unsweetened. I do. And as, and as long as you have fruits and vegetables in your diet, that in fact, that can help to hydrate you, okay? So you count that towards your hydration every day, Leanne, okay? And I don't will. let anyone tell, tell you differently, okay? <laughs> That's the answer. And, of course, coffee has other properties that are very good for you, um, that it can lower your chances of cancer, of high blood pressure, of cardiovascular disease. So just drink up the coffee, you know? You know, I, I mean, actually had a young woman at one of those juice bars say to me once, I was debating like what to get. And, you know, normally I don't take health advice from young women that work in juice bars. That's smart, Liam. That's smart. But, but I said, you know, I think I'll just have a cup of coffee. And she said, yeah, it's better than a soda or an energy drink because at least coffee is natural. And I hadn't really thought about it, but that's pretty much what your article is saying too. It is better than a diet soda or an energy drink. It's right. it's it's fairly natural. So especially it's if you don't, na- if you drink yeah. it unsweetened, unsweetened. You know, I do not pumpkin spice lattes. Nope. That does not count towards your hydration. Now, obviously, the doctor did, did say in this study that if you drank eight cups of coffee. Uh, in lieu of water, it's right. going to make you very edgy. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> you'll right. be hydrated, but you'll be edgy. Okay. Yeah. 
and I don't think that is uh, an optimal state. Okay, so, but um, but you're but you're hydrating when you're drinking the coffee, and that's you what go. you need to know. I assume the same is true for tea. If you're a tea drinker, as long as you're not putting sugar and a bunch of milk in there, you should be doing fine. Okay, I do put milk in there. I hope that doesn't negate it. But well, I'm, I'm just going to assume it doesn't in terms I, of the hydration. That's, they did not. They did not um, say anything about the milk. So I just, um, as your doctor, <laughs> <laughs> healthcare as, professional, <laughs> as your healthcare professional here on Tuesday mornings, I I, I think you're going to be fine. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. So, but uh, the paper was chock full of other important <laughs> studies. One that really caught my eye, um, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics came out today, Leon, and they are revising their iron, ironclad guidelines for children's babies and screens. That would be television screens, computer screens, you know, phone screens, watch screens, you name it. Uh, Because I don't know if you've been around uh, parents with young children, but, uh, you know, if a child is under two, that the standard for the last 15 years, the rule, the recommendation from the American Academy of Pediatrics has been shield your children from the screens. They're not supposed to be in front of the screens for any amount of time. And, and, you know, you, you go around, you know, when I'm with my grandchildren, I mean, my sons will just like, you know, block my phone because they don't want, you know, the babies to see the phones or anything like that. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Very strong. Very strong. That screen time was going to be, you know, that, that this was really a problem, but guess what? Uh, the American Academy has said they have figured out that screen time is actually now you know, equals time, that screens are everywhere and they have to come up with some new recommendation because you, it's going to be, it's nearly impossible to shield your young child from all the screens. I mean, that they have to come up with a new recommendation to move with the technology and to recognize that not all technology is the same and not all media is the same. And actually there's sort of three different categories. There's a consumption, there's creation and, there, and there's communication. So the big recommendation that I am so pleased about, Leanne, is mm-hmm. that there is a big difference between plopping your baby down in front of cartoons, either on a television set or on YouTube, and video chat- chatting with your grandmother. Okay. So it's <laughs> thumbs up. You can video chat all you want with Urban Nana, okay? You got, I got the big green light on that, Leon. okay? <laughs> there is no problem for me to do that. But that is, bi- that is totally different than, you know, having your, uh, letting your infants watch, watch YouTube or, you know, just handing them an iPhone. You know, because that's that's really well. Th- that you see a lot. Yeah, you see parents just hand the phone to the kids. Yeah, I mean, I, you they see can't that help it. They, yeah. it's it's like it is like I don't know what it's like. It's like gold. It is. I mean, little yeah. Josephine, she starts to pant I when know. she sees that iPhone. She's I know. Like, she gets so excited about it. Okay, but they also said they also said that, for example, you know, if you're a parent and child, if you are reading a book to a child on a Kindle or on an iPad, what, how is that different from reading a child a book, like an old-fashioned book, a paper book? And they're saying that really what's important in the reading process is the parent-child interaction. There you go. Yep. So it doesn't really matter if you, know, if you are reading on a, you know, an iPad or, or not. 
You know, they're also trying to figure out, well, can an iPad be a toy, you know, and they've done some experiments with that. And certainly, you know, they have children go into these labs and they, you know, when children play with blocks, for example, they can, they can see that this, there's a, you know, a greater brain engagement than if a baby is just sitting there watching baby Einstein on an iPad. Okay. So some things are better, but, you know, like, uh, and some things don't even uh, transfer. So for example, if a child is playing with a wooden puzzle, okay, and learns how to master a wooden puzzle, that skill does not transfer to if the child is on an iPad and trying to do a puzzle on an iPad. You know, that the swiping and moving is different. So uh, so they don't really don't know, but they've got to come up with, a, you know, they're working on this. This is, you know, this is a preliminary report. They're going to try to figure something, something out. They still don't think that, you know, a child should be in front of a screen for more, no more than 60 to 90 minutes under the age of two. Mm-hmm. But that that, you know, that you just have to let some screens into your life. Right. That's, that's it. Right. I mean, it's easy to say no screens. That's just wildly impractical. I mean, all the recommendations for screen time for teenagers or middle school kids that, that just, they're, they're dated and they're impractical. All their schoolwork is on a screen. All their homework is on a screen. Everything, you know, studying together with friends, it's on a screen. So you're right. There's just a reality check that uh, it would be helpful for doctors to address. And it sounds like they are. So, they're, they're, and they're yeah, great. it's that great interaction. The, the one thing I would say, though, is if you think your child is getting behind in any way, they'll be fine, you know? <laughs> Right. I mean, they're going to figure out the screens at three as opposed to two. You know, it's not we have this sense that we need to rush kids into everything from organized sports to, you know, coding. And it's just it's it's not true. Like they're going to be fine if they they get on board, if they have access to information and access to, you know, technology, they're going to get on board as soon as you let them on board. They're getting on board. So yeah, you don't have to worry about it that. Out, they, they, they definitely <clears throat> want to do it. And but that's truly and I think that you think, well, oh, I better get that baby Einstein. Right. Thing because oh, getting behind. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want my child to be behind by the time they get to preschool. Right. So so I think that is, you know, a lot of people are are trying to, as we are, Leanne, we're trying to cope with uh with our new world, right. you know, and 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 all the technological <laughs> advances in it. But there was a very interesting article a couple of weeks back in um the New York Times. It was done by an MIT professor, Sherry Turkle, and she's written a book called Reclaiming Conversation: The Power of Talk in a digital age. And for the last 30 years, Professor Turkle has been studying how humans are interacting, um, interacting with devices, you know, and Mm -hmm. her big concern right now is face-to-face communication. Uh, And she believes that it's really in jeopardy. Uh, That's, that's the bottom line that we, we really have a situation now that unless we try to address it, uh, we're really going to we're going to lose something. I mean, here's some of the stuff that she's found that she said right now, 89 percent of cell, uh, cell phone users have used phones in social gatherings. Like when we get together, everybody has a phone and they're using them in the um, uh, social gatherings. Mm-hmm. And that 82 percent of the people responding to her um, pretty large survey say it hurts um, interaction. She said that she spends a lot of time observing teens and college-age kids because they are obviously – 
They're the latest adapters to, um, to this technology. They've integrated it in a much more fundamental way into their social interactions than either your generation or my generation. Yeah. Because they grew uh, up with it. They don't know okay. any difference. They've right. So I mean, they talk lives. about, have you heard of this, the rule of three? You know, I read this article. It was a fascinating article. Put a link on Satellite Sisters. I'm glad you're talking about it. Yeah, I had yeah. not heard of that. Um, but now now I'm aware of it, really yeah. aware of it. And I really, have, I've observed it with our own nieces and nephews when they get together. And what the rule of three says is let's imagine six people are sitting together having a conversation. At least... Three of those people are paying attention to the face-to-face conversation and three people, at least three people will have their heads down and are doing something on one of their devices. And that they are, you can, you can measure this and monitor this by watching the, like where their heads are. Are their heads, are they facing each other? Are they looking at the faces or are they down looking at their devices? And the people that are looking down from time to time, we'll, you know, we'll put their head up and listen to the conversation, and then somebody else will put their head down. But in a group of six people, you do not have all six people live, listening to the conversation. Yeah, and I thought what was interesting was that she's observed that people are monitoring this. Like, you yeah. won't even bother talk, talking unless two other people are looking at you. Yeah. Like, if you're yeah. sitting in a group and all six of you are on phones, there's no point in even talking. Yeah. <laughs> That was, that was interesting. I mean, it's, and it has this, these devices have, you know, they, you know, she says there, there's a magic about them because it means you are always available to everywhere to anyone, you know, think about that and that you are never bored because you have one of these devices in your hand and it allows for absolutely no lulls in the conversation uh, uh, because you're, you know, I mean, even because there's always, you know, something else is popping up, but it limits the type of conversation that you have because you don't want to get into subjects that are too deep because there is this, uh, this chance that you're going to be interrupted. Right. In fact, can you imagine? I mean, she was saying that she writes that even, even if you don't have your cell phones on, let's say you're, you know, you've seen that like people right. go out to lunch, they put their cell phones on the table. This is all generations do this. This yes, is not yeah. limited to just teenagers and 20 something. Right. So this is yeah. everybody, the people that put their phone on the table. Yeah. I thought this was fascinating. Go yeah, ahead. Did, the did... mere presence of a phone can change the conversation. It keeps topics to a certain level because they are topics that you wouldn't mind being interrupted you know, because at any moment the phone can ring. Right. Can yeah. really, so I, that really shocked me just because that is such a natural for people now to just put their phone on the table. Like it's always there. This reminder that something better could be coming. Yeah. 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 So, so even a silent phone disconnects us. Okay. And she said that this is, you know, having, this is having a tremendous impact on our empathy and on our patience. I mean, she was saying that a lot of younger people don't like face-to-face uh, conversation because of what she refers to as the seven-minute rule. Have you heard this? I, I, that, I, go yes, ahead. In the article, which means that it, t- it takes approximately seven minutes to see how the conversation is going to unfold. And many people just don't have that patience to go seven minutes, okay? You know, she says that, that this is what, uh, what people refer to as the app generation, they're expecting the world to respond like an app, that the world <laughs> should work like algorithms, you know, and that this is, you know, a very unintended con- consequence of this technology. So, 
But here's a, she doesn't have the answer yet. Right. She, I mean, I was just racing to the end of this article thinking, oh, well, I, I, what are we going to do? What are we going to do, Professor Turkle? But uh, it's, it's, she believes that, you know, we are resilient and that we can adapt, but that we really have to step back and think about, you know, about these devices and, and the impact on face-to-face communication because it's so essential to, to you know, being human beings. Well, you know, the one tip just to not put your phone on the table, that could change a lot of people's lives. I think that's a good one. So, I, you know, even if you just start there, even if you just start there and then and then try to figure it out. Yeah, there was a lot. We'll post a link to that article. I thought that was a really an eye opening article. And you can see it. People don't want to go through awkward pauses. They just pick up the phone or no one sits alone and kind of just waits for things anymore because you always have your phone there. And it does. It is addictive. It is. It is a siren call. And you don't. Yeah, you don't have to experience any awkward silences because there's a phone there. You can always pick it up. So I know I thought well, it was we're going to keep talking. Okay. And we're going to talk. We just, I have we my phone t- here. I have my phone here because I have, I, have I have a related story, as a matter of fact, Julie, on my phone because it was the only way I could access the Wall Street Journal. So uh, I have to do my passcode now. Uh, so <laughs> just hold on a second. Okay. But she's dipping out of this conversation. So I am. Little, something yeah. better has come up. But uh, that's interesting that you pitched this because uh, I saw a piece in the Wall Street Journal today by Sue Schellenbarger. Now, remember, Sue, she was on Satellite Sisters many, many times. She wrote the work and family column, still does, at the Wall Street Journal. And every single time I had to introduce her, I butchered her name. Do you remember, yes. Sue? Yes, I do. I, I do. And you would go into a panic. You would, We would put the little uh, spell check there out for you and, and still... Uh, no success, Leon. Not yeah. really. I would call her Sue Sellenberger. <laughs> I mean, I just, I managed to mess it up almost every time. And she was lovely and gracious and kept coming back Mm -hmm. on Satellite Sisters. But her column in the Wall Street Journal is always full of handy tips. And so this one caught my eye. It's the smartest ways to network at a party and how to behave Mm. at a work event. Okay. Mm. But I thought it was helpful if you're coming to any of the Satellite Sisters meetups or we're going to be walking into a lot of rooms in the next couple weeks that are, you know, with the book tour where we won't really know people. And when you show up at places and you're just standing there and you're thinking, okay, now what do I do? How do I start a conversation with people? A natural instinct these days would be to pull out your phone and pretend you're checking your email. But Sue has some excellent tips, some do's and don'ts. So I thought I would pass these along. Okay, first of all, do come with prepared with topics to discuss or experiences to share. Julie, this first of all, most of the information we cover on Satellite Sisters is perfect for a light party. <laughs> particularly the Tuesday show. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. We've got a lot of topics here. I know this sock story Leon has coming it's up. It's going to be big. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, yeah. it's, it's going to be such an icebreaker, right? Okay. You can go up to the CEO of your company with this sock story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, finally, final word. Shoes with yeah. tights. Uh, can you wear them? Okay. How about this? Observe others, facial expressions and body language in deciding whom to approach. And she outlines in the article that, if people are open, if two people are standing open to the room, so they look like they're in conversation, but they're both open, that means they're approachable. If they're actually face-to-face having a conversation, probably not a good idea to break in. Right. She said the right. best group to break into is like three or four people standing in a straight line, kind of looking out at the room. 
that they are probably going to welcome new energy and a new face into the conversation because they really don't have anything to say to each other, but they're trying to network at this party. So I thought I that was good. I don't think I've ever like, like surveyed a room that way, but yeah. this is very interesting to really look at, you know, the sort of the, the clusters of people and how they're facing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. How about this? Look for opportunities to help others with information or introductions. So I, I appreciate people who are good introducers. Have you ever, oh, this is so-and-so, she does this, this is so-and-so, this is how you might know her. Yeah, I like people like that. So there you go. And then um, this is a good tip. It's hard to do, but keep at least one free hand of snacks and drinks so you can shake hands. <sighs> Right, so, so you shouldn't just go to the buffet table and bar <laughs> and sort of load up because that's another that's a totally uh, the legitimate strategy at events. Yeah, just just to eat a lot, eat and drink a lot, you know, because then you're doing something. Right, you're not on your phone. Right, but you're busy. You right. know, it does. So you know, uh, it is one that, of those weird things. That I have to say, when people stick out their hands and your hands are full, like that's not helpful either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, a little wave is good. Little, little air, you know, a little a punch nod. or something. Yes. Nod. Well, that's the next tip, Julie. Look for eye contact or a nod as a signal that you can introduce yourself. Time to come green, in. Eye contact. Green light. Green light. Yep. All right. Here are the don'ts. Okay, okay. Don't measure success by the number of business cards you collect. I don't think people worry about that too much. Don't look over the shoulder of the person you're talking to in case someone more interesting shows up. We're okay. all in. We're have, all. Have we all done that? We've have all we done all? that. I mean, I, in Los Angeles, that's all people do because they're really? just waiting for someone famous to show up at any it's event. It's the seven-minute rule. Yeah. You, get, you don't get your seven minutes with these people. But uh, but I've also been I've been on the receiving end of that, too, where yeah. you can tell that they are just- That's cold, isn't it? They so do not want to hear my sock story, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or they don't want to hear the good news about coffee, Leanne, you know? Uh, and see, I think that- I hear that. I think that coffee story could go far because, yeah. you know, that's, it's not controversial. You know, right. everybody has an opinion about coffee. So, well, they did say that when you're coming up with the con, you know, it's something to talk about. Pick something mm -hmm. like, you know, the world cup or so, you know, something non-controversial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about this? Um, uh, don't try to look smarter and more competent so that others <laughs> will be drawn to you. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> try to look smarter. And then don't demonstrate your power and influence by talking in a loud voice. That's not helpful either. But oh. we know people that do that, walk into rooms and just want to be the center of attention. Uh, oh. And again, this is to network. Your goal is to meet other people. But this was my favorite don't. Don't assume anyone standing alone is a loser and should be avoided. <laughs> right. Right. You know, because I've stood alone at things. Like, if you mm -hmm. don't know anyone, sometimes it takes you a while to get your bearings. I was at that press event for Malala a couple weeks yes. ago. The opening, it was a L.A. premiere, but it was at like 9 in the morning. I, I didn't know one soul there. So I walked in. There was like a coffee thing. And uh, and I, I just stood there, and I tried not to look at my phone because I wanted to appear open, and I tried not to look like a loser. And I was very grateful when a guy came over and started talking to me. He said, Oh, you must be so-and-so I work here. He was very open and honest and, and, and very forward. And I really, really appreciated it. So, uh, so see, I wasn't a loser, Julie. And I know you're not a loser. Leah. You're not a loser. So, but I think that, I mean, what, but what if you do get stuck with a loser? You know, what if you like, you know, try to approach someone and realize like, okay, okay, there's, this, you know, you're there for business networking, you know, and this person is not going to be helpful. 
is there some gracious way? Does Sue have some tips on like how to like extricate yourself from that conversation? No. You know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. And no, she doesn't. So here, here's my tip. Just go. It was great talking to you. Enjoy the conference and walk away. <laughs> okay. Leanne. Well, again, you, you don't owe these people, you know, you don't right. just cause you talk to one person, you don't have to be stuck with them all night. Okay. So okay. that's what I would say, but, okay. uh, there are no tips. There are only the do's and don'ts for that. Okay. 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 Well, that's, that's very helpful. I think, should we try, we'll try some of these techniques. Yeah. I just thought that reading the body language, that was a good one. If you're open to conversation, just open yourself up to the room. I liked it. Mm -hmm. All right. Moving on to other topics now, Julie, I, you know, we enjoyed the wedding announcements in the New York times at satellite sisters. It's a hobby that we developed in childhood and we still, we still read them as if I I don't know, our life depended upon it. Uh And uh, so this weekend in the New York times, there was something you don't often see in a wedding announcement. Uh, The the bride is a model and uh, the groom is a former professional hockey player. Mm -hmm. And so we get the background of where they're from and where they live and what their parents do. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the wedding announcement, after we've learned about the parents uh, of the, the hockey player that his dad teaches special education and once played hockey himself, there's this paragraph. In the lead up to the wedding, Mr. Avery was arrested on September 30th during a traffic stop in Southampton after police found oxycondone and roxycondone in his car. Mm-hmm. Mr. Avery's lawyer said in published reports that his client had prescriptions for both medications. The couple met in the summer of 2009. <laughs> Isn't that, what? have you ever seen like a police report in the middle uh, of a wedding announcement? An arrest? Uh, well, I wonder why did they put that in there? I, I mean, don't know. I guess they didn't have control over that, that the uh, New York Times. Oh felt yeah. This, I guess the story. And yeah. That, if they were going to talk about this guy, they needed to talk about their arrest records. Well, then why? Then why talk? The, the, you know, they don't have to put the wedding announcement in. <laughs> right. Like all of a sudden they're going to get all journalisticy in the middle of a wedding, I <laughs> a know. wedding and, announcement. And have they done that kind of fact checking on every other bridal announcement? <laughs> exactly. They put in the New York Times? Exactly, and Julie. No one else has a, a rap sheet that's ever been in the New York Times. I would like to know the answer to that. I one. just, I, I don't fault the the former professional hockey player, I'm sure he has a lot, a lot of pain. Okay. I don't, Uh I don't, I'm not his doctor, so I don't know why he has those prescriptions, but I mean, do we have other, uh, do we, did we list the prescription drugs of the other, uh, bridal couples? Cause I think there might be quite a few in that, in that group. Exactly. Exactly. Julie. Exactly. I just thought that was, it seemed unnecessary. It seemed yes, like a cheap does. shot, a cheap shot from the New York Times. Yes, you post the beautiful photo. You have the meet cute story. You have details like the bride played lacrosse and field hockey. And then, but then in the middle of it is this paragraph about his arrest record. This was a cheap shot. New it York was. Times. So there you go. Unnecessary. All right. Unnecessary. All right, Julie, now the story we've been waiting for. Can I wear tights with open... T- oh, wait. No, I was going to do one more story. I have another wedding yes. story. Oh, good. Because I, I, I love weddings. Yeah. All right. How to change your name. All right. This was on the She Finds website. And uh, I, I'm attracted to these stories about changing your name or what to do or taking your husband's name um, because I never have. And you, you kind of half... You have a half-assed name. I have tried it in our first book. In our first book, um, Satellite Sisters on Common Senses, I wrote an essay about this. I've tried it all, Leanne. You know, I tried to hyphenate my name. Okay, 
Now this was, you know, early on. That's right. what that's what people were doing. But right. people kept saying, "Are you from Britain or something?" <laughs> you know, they didn't understand the hyphenation. Yeah. And then it's just you can't trying to get a driver's license with the hyphenation. Oh, forget it. Okay, you can't make a airline reservation. So um, then for a while, I mean, I did. I just sort of kept my maiden name, and then I kept three names. I tried that. Yeah. Julie Dolan Smith, you know, but that's a mouthful, Leon. Okay. I mean, people are doing it, you know, uh, but it, it is a mouthful and I recognize that. And again, you run into all kinds of uh, trouble when you're trying to make any kind of reservation right. or right. have any kind of record. Okay. And some now, so I have, I have all kinds of documents that say Dolan Smith all together, right. you yeah. know, I just, it's, it's a problem. I it even is. had a problem this last time with, with my global entry. And then when we moved overseas, cause I had to, I had, you know, you have to go by your passport name. You know, I sort of slipped into, okay, just call me Smith. Just call me Smith. Okay. Because I was trying to make it uh, more simple. Which is your husband's actual name. You weren't yes, choosing an alias. No, that. No, I wasn't choosing an <laughs> alias, which I know some people do. But I've tried it all. So I have a lot of sympathy for people who are confused about whether to do that or not. Right. And I I debated many things. I have a first name that is impossible to pronounce, apparently. And my husband has a German last name that is very hard to pronounce, often mispronounced. So I just decided to stick with my maiden name. But then you do. You slip into habits where the kids call you one thing, which is fine. Like they, you know, Mrs. So-and-so. And that's fine. But for some reason, my health... Like my health insurance is under my husband's name, even though that's not my name. And so then when you call to try to make an appointment that you, they're like, who are you? I was like, oh, right. I used a totally different name at the doctor's office. So, oh, yeah. That starts, it starts, you know, that's off to a good start when you like can't even come up with your name. Right. I mean, it just, you sound like an idiot. What name is it under? Oh, I don't know. I don't really know. Why so, don't you try... I know. So, so I was, I saw this, I was like, oh, and the first tip is just figure out your new name. And I, maybe if we had started with that, maybe if 25, 30, 40 years ago, we had just made up a new last name, Julie, maybe that would have been the way to go. Cause apparently that's what many couples are choosing to do now. So really make yeah. up a new name, not going with, with either. Yeah. Yeah. Combination huh. name. Yeah. I've actually been thinking about changing my first name lately. <laughs> I'm that so, sick. Good, I'm know, so we... sick of people mispronouncing my name. I just can't, I can't take it. I was like, you know what? Maybe I should have just changed my name a long time ago. So, uh, so this was interesting to me. All right. But here are the things you really do have to do. You do have to get your license, your marriage license. Okay. Yes. So you have to walk around with your marriage license. You have to start with your social security card. Okay. Which again, right there, I think I was just too lazy to do any of these things. So I just stuck with my maiden name. Okay. Then you have to go to the DMV. Okay. You have to bring your new social security card, your driver's license and your marriage license to get a driver's license with your new name on it. So uh, you may also need like a uh, proof of residency, for instance. So right there, we've just lost half of the brides who were (laughs) thinking about changing their name. Because that's about, that's about like, I don't know, that's like a month's worth of work. Right, right, right there. there. Yeah. Right there. You have to take a month off to change your name. So mm-hmm. now it seems fair that maybe, maybe both of you should change your names. That would be actually the egalitarian thing to do. Hey, if I have to go to the DMV, so do you, buddy. And then you have to notify your employer. 
Then you have to change everything else, bank accounts, credit cards, lease agreements, anything else you can think of now that you have all this proper uh, documentation. But Julie, here was the key tip. Number seven, Uh if you don't have time for multiple trips or calls, you can try a service like Hitch Switch or Miss Now Misses. (laughs) <laughs> Julie, there is a service for this now. You know, Leanne, as you started to talk about uh, this, this, you know, this process of changing your name, I was thinking to myself, there should be a service. There is a service. There's a service. A- There's okay. an uh, So you need to go to Social Security and DMV. But then after that, you can turn over this whole mission to Miss Now Misses or Hitch Switch. So that's unbelievable. I mean, that I is wonder progress. how much that costs. You don't I don't care. You know what I mean? When you think about the number of, okay. remember okay. when you think about like okay, how many times you have to have explained your name, Julie, when you think about the amount of stress, what is my name has caused you over the last decades of your life? I don't know what my name is. Just call me anything. Okay. Okay, Elaine. <laughs> Okay. I would like, if you've used one of these services, let us know on the Facebook page if it actually worked, like if it was actually easier. Because uh, I think that's, I, I just thought that is brilliant. That just, that's a game changer, having that whole name thing. I mean, I know in time and memoriam, people have done it. I don't know why it seemed like such a big deal to me, but um, certainly paid for it. Okay. <laughs> okay, Leanne. That's a, very helpful. Okay. Yep. Maybe we'll get that for you for your birthday or something like and that. And I, listen, as long as you're going to do all that, I may change my first name, you know, just, <laughs> just change it all at that point. Why not? Will you let us know what you change it to? <laughs> just. I know. I was like, you know, when I, if I become a grandmother, maybe that's the time to just completely adapt an alter ego and uh, one that is easily pronounceable. All right. And Julie, finally, can I wear tights with open toed shoes? Can you? What do you think? Okay. Okay. Now when you define tights, are you talking about hosiery, like, uh, uh, like stockings or you're talking about like dark tights, dark tights, dark tights. Black tights. And what color are your shoes, Lane? You know, what well, color? that's, it doesn't matter. The open-toed shoes. I don't know, Leanne. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I think maybe, I, I don't know. It's, okay, well, that, according it's a, to- just pe- such a bad look, that little, like, stocking coming through the peak. <laughs> toe, you know? Apparently, uh, you know, I think maybe there is an age limit, but according to Pure Wow, yes, you can. But here's what you have to do. First of all, you have to make sure your tights look new. Okay. So no pilling at the toes or overstretched patches in the heels. All right. (laughs) Because people are going to be looking at you like, oh, wow, she's wearing tights with open toed shoes. Okay. All right. Then you have to disguise your toe seam, right? You don't want that seam running across okay, that's the top good. of the toes. It sounds okay. like you'd be on board for that. Yes, I would, Leah. Julie, this is going to be tough for us because we don't have a lot of space in this area. Avoid <laughs> ankle puddling. I know that. <laughs> I know we both have thick ankles, so. No, I don't. My ankles are pretty good. Oh, yeah. mine are not. Okay. And so uh, you're going to want a taut, clean line, so no loose, wrinkly ankles. And okay. finally, you have to choose your shoes wisely. So go for attention-grabbing shoes like stacked 70s platforms oh, or brother. peep toe. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Oh, whoa. Whoa. Stop right there. Stop. <laughs> yeah. See what I mean? I think there's an age limit. Yeah. 70s platforms. Yeah. We can't do those. We or peep-toed boots. 
Are you enjoying those at all? Peep toed boots? I've seen those and yeah. those seem like the, the most ridiculous things. Cause where, when do you wear them? Because if you wear them without, you can't wear boots without stockings or, 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 or in the winter, cause your, your toes are going to get cold, right? I, so I guess, Julia, yeah, boots. I don't know. It never know. gets those cold for here. Southern California, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, we. I do have a pair of peep toe boots. I wear them because, as you said, it doesn't get super cold here. But yes, okay. if you're in Chicago, your your season for peep toe boots is very limited. Um, so, Julie, what you don't want to do is wear anything too delicate or too basic. That will look <laughs> like a mistake rather than a statement. And that's so true of many things, isn't it? So if you're if you're going to wear this really bad look, you got to go all in on it. You just really have to commit. To it, okay. I like that, Liam. Yeah, I like that. So, like, so bring don't try it with like Doctor Scholl's. Like that's not going to be a good look, no, Doctor no, Scholl. No, you're or... going to need like a blue fuzzy vest to wear with this as well, right? <laughs> there you go. So that's a, there's a good uh, comp, there's a good icebreaker for you. Your next work <laughs> work event. <laughs> Just heard breaking news. Yes, you can wear tights yes, with open toed shoes. You just walk right in there and say, yes, I can in my 70s <laughs> platform. platform shoes. Speaking of breaking an ankle, man, that is a, that's not going to work well. All right. We're the Satellite Sisters. We are going to take a break before uh, our Madam Secretary recap. So for those of you who would like to Say goodbye now. Thanks for joining us today. You know, if you need any information about us, you can always go to SatelliteSisters.com, full service website. You can uh, use the search feature, find some old shows uh, or just recent shows that you might have missed. I do want to remind you that we're doing our You're the Best Encore interview series where we're posting some of our favorite interviews with guests from the past. Uh, we have had Nora Ephron already and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And this week we're posting Liz Gilbert. And, um, she is, we discovered her, you know, I mean, people don't know that. Well, we had her on, right. Didn't we have her on before she became the uh, famous, right? You know what, Julie, I want people to listen to this interview because you were absolutely right. We had Liz Gilbert on our first interview that you're going to hear this week is the day her book came out. Eat, Pray, Love came out. And it was really fun to listen to that book, uh, to listen to that interview again, because before she became, you know, Elizabeth Gilbert guru, she was just like, a girl who went to Italy and ate pasta. And that's what that interview is like. It's just a very warm and genuine thing. We had gotten an advanced copy of the book. We thought it looked good. Uh, and we talked to her about like her experiences. And then from there, the book really took off. So I, you know, just, we, we definitely had her on before she became Liz Gilbert Inc. And, uh, and this interview is just kind of natural and fresh and genuine, talking about a time in her life that presented her with some very difficult decisions, and these are the options she made. And you can tell, Liz has read the book. I, I didn't even read the book. So... Um, because we didn't have time to read all the books. We talked to a million people. So usually... The, whoever was the lead sister would be designated to read the book. And in that case, it was Liz. In fact, I, I had sort of forgotten I was even on the interview. <laughs> Way to go, Liam. Well, we, we talked to a lot of people. It's fun to listen. It's fun to hear it this is a conversation. Good, it's a good interview. It, yes, because yeah. 
because it it seems so doable. Right. To, it's uh, super genuine. It's just a super <laughs> genuine conversation about like, wow, how'd you gain 20 pounds in Italy? You know, it's not, we're, we weren't looking for her to sh- reshape our lives. And uh, so I think you would find, I think you'll find it interesting. I, I mean, I certainly did. I think you'll find it fun. A different side of Liz Gilbert than you may be used to, you know, a decade later. Um, so that will post uh, this Thursday. You're the best encore interviews. Stay with us. We're the Satellite Sisters coming up next. Our secretary or recap of Madam Secretary. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California. I'm here with my sister, Julie Dolan, in Dallas, Texas. This is our weekly recap of Madam Secretary on CBS. Uh, This episode was, Julie, the doability doctrine. This is the second episode of the second season. Uh, We have just started recapping Madam Secretary, but we did watch the whole first season. And uh, Julie, this episode, in this episode, I just kept thinking, my gosh, she must be exhausted. She <laughs> packed so much into a single day. I mean, it was That's non- exactly what I was saying. What a day Elizabeth is having. Could you even have this day, Leon? I don't know. I, yes, I don't know how she did it. Yeah. So on the political front in this particular episode, okay, we had dual storylines going and the, we had uh, a Department of State employee was kidnapped in Kabul, okay? And then we had the mystery of where is the Russian president Ostrov, right? Yes. That was their fake yes. Russian president name. Mm-hmm. And then on the home front, we had the question of where is Stevie all day? So uh-huh. the uh, misguided 21-year-old having a lot of issues disappears for a single day and that throws the secretary of state into uh, just a complete tumult, even though she's also say, you know, saving the world. And then um, we had to deal with just how many of those floppy blouses does Beth McCord own? I mean, she had another one on a bright blue one for the whole show. She was wearing that the whole show. Wasn't she? Well, she had a very, it was only one day. She had a very busy day. It's very busy. So we're going to break it down scene by scene. Um, If you don't know what, one of the reasons this is a great show for us to do. First of all, we enjoy it. We like the stars. Uh, we like the fact that the executive producers are women and stars a woman. Um, in our past, as the Satellite Sisters, we actually interviewed Madeline Albright uh, many years ago, and that was really one of the highlights of my professional career. It was such a pleasure to interview her when she came out with her book, which was called Madam Secretary. So you're going to hear a little bit about that throughout the whole recap. Julie, you've lived in foreign countries, so you're yes. essentially our Secretary of State, aren't you? Like, Yes, I am. Well, I'm certainly the family Kremlinologist. And so this week, because it focused on Russia, where I lived for five years, uh, I have a lot of insight for you, Liam. Yes. And I just watch a tremendous amount of TV. So uh, that, those are our <laughs> Which makes you very qualified. Very yes. qualified. Very qualified. All right. So this one is called the Doability Doctrine which apparently is one of Madeleine Albright's signature doctrines. And we're going to get to that because Madam Secretary, uh, Mrs. Albright, Madam Secretary Albright was in this episode of Madam Secretary. All right, so we open the first scene, Julie. Uh, we see the kidnapping of a DOS, Department of State, employee uh, in Kabul, which I, I believe was actually like a tar pit in Palmdale, California. But I love when <laughs> I love I love when TV shows like, go to foreign locales and you know, they're not foreign locales. I just I know, love that. But they have, they have to do it. I mean, but it's a bad way to start the day. Okay. Just that, you know, he gets a uh, kidnapped right off the bat. So, right. um, 
Whew. So, but they're in the kitchen, right? They start the uh, start the day. It starts in the morning in the kitchen. In the kitchen. So, uh, yeah, where you know we 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 asked the question last week on the Facebook page. Someone asked the question, "Why don't they have any help? Like, how do they get everything done without any household help?" And this week, that's all I could think of because who's cleaning those breakfast dishes? I who, know, me too. They made just that left dinner them on the counter on the sink, <laughs> but yet the floors look polished, Leanne. So, I believe it is Secret State Department people that come in after the family has left to uh, to do the tidying up. Yes, I believe we're going to get to the bottom of that Leon, but I believe that there uh, there is some some seal team that comes in. Yeah. And then uh, so we learn at the breakfast table also that the Russian president Ostrov is missing. And uh, the young son asks his mother, the Secretary of State, you know, how can dictators do that and she responds dictators can do whatever the hell they want. So <laughs> Yes, uh, very important. And I love, yes, and I love that the speculation about the Russian president being missing is the same speculation they have about Vladimir Putin when he leaves town. Is he getting more plastic surgery? Is he spending time with the gymnast girlfriend? What is going on? Excellent. So, but then we get to the real heart of this scene. We get to the where is Stevie storyline. Last week we saw Stevie, their 21-year-old daughter who dropped out of college and now is going back. She was dating like a much older man who was her boss at an NGO. Now she's involved with the president's son who's been in and out of rehab. And last week she was holding heroin for him, which seemed like a bad idea. And no one apparently confiscated it. But we learn in this breakfast scene that perfect dad, Henry, did in fact, not only did he confiscate that heroin, he tested it. And it must be terrible having spies as parents. I mean, they have access to a lot of information, don't they? I know that it was impressive, impressive as a parental technique to have the whole file there with, uh, with, with, with the drug testing. Yeah. And Stevie's gone blonde in uh, this morning too, which is uh, which is a change from the previous one. She's lightened up her hair, so who knows what that could uh, mean? Well, as we know, uh, Secretary McCord said they did some follicle testing on Stevie, so she didn't have any heroin in her system, but she does need some calcium. Yes. So you know they came down pretty hard on Stevie. They let her know who's who and what's what. But the truth is she is 21. So, and that becomes a storyline later on in the show. Like there's only so much you can actually do with a 21 year old. They are legal adults, but she's still living at home, even though she's back at school. I don't really understand that, but well, I should, cause I have a college 20 year old <laughs> living at home with me. So I do understand that. So never mind. So, okay. Secretary McCord gets to work. We find out that she has a merchant Marine event where she and the Russian, it's supposed to be the Russian ambassador, but it turns out the foreign minister shows up. They're commemorating, uh, American and Russian, um, friendship and working together in World War II, right, Julie? That was the deal. But this is really key. Uh, The Russians feel that they have won uh, World War II. In fact, they don't even call it World War II. They call it the Great Patriotic War. And when you go to Moscow, you can visit the museum, the Great Patriotic War Museum, where they show you how they won World War II. Very little mention of the Americans. Uh, So, uh, I was uh, looking forward to this uh, this scene because I thought the Russians were going to make a big deal once again about them winning the war and that the Americans weren't involved. Hmm. 
So we learned that um, Secretary of State Madeleine Albright will be there. There is the first pin reference in this. I know. I know. Which was nice to hear. If you remember, one of uh, Madeleine Albright's signature looks was these giant pins she would wear on her on her suits. And she told us and that, you know, she was once you start wearing pins, then you're just given pins. So she had this huge collection of pins in her office and she would just throw them on. And she did try to pick the pins very carefully. They were, uh, you know, they were well conceived, which pin she was wearing to which event. So... <clears throat> We learned that Bess has received a pin from Madeleine Albright, and Bess wants to wear her pin on that event. So I'm thinking, where is the pin? Where her, where's her pin collection? <laughs> we don't know, but we do know that uh, there's a minor storyline of one of the State Department employees, Jay. Okay, he's like the policy guy who the apparently— The beard, the guy with the beard. That's yeah, what, I mean, yeah, yeah. he apparently spent the hiatus in Brooklyn because now he has a full beard. I don't— that doesn't look real. Like, I don't believe you'd be allowed to work the State Department looking like that. Do you? What? I well, mean, I think it's, it's giving him some gravitas. Like, that's, a, that's the idea. You know, that he's the real policy wonk, the thinker. He's coming up with the big plans. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's a kind of a minor storyline. And then we switch over to Henry. He's teaching at the National War College. He's mm-hmm. trying to recruit this Russian uh, to turn against his country and... Um, and uh, what we learn is that the Russian sister is very sick and that this could be a point of, uh, of vulnerability for him. And so the NSA tells Henry that if he, you know, if he decides he can use this as a tactic to turn the Russian. You know, that's really a key point, because I think one of the things that you appreciate is that the Russians have, you know, have tremendous patriotism. But there's there's something that they hold more dear is their family, you know, and that they would that trumps any national nationalism that they might have. So the fact that, you know, that he's going to the sort of the soul of the Russian soul there, uh, the core of the Russian soul that, you know, that to turn this guy into a spy for the U.S., it has to be involved with the family. Okay, Julie, very deep analysis. Okay. And I hate to dwell on the hair in this show, but um, I am still confused by uh, the hair of NSA (laughs) NSA handler Claire from Law & Order. What yes. is that hair she's doing? Like my my notes say, ombre look uh, looks bad in a ponytail. Just, That's what I wrote down watching the event. Just, yes, I think she's supposed it's supposed to be providing her with some kind of street credibility that she's too busy to do anything with her hair. She should take the time to do something with her hair. Yeah, bun it. I mean, put it in a bun, Claire, for God's sakes, or something. I don't know. Whereas I thought Elizabeth had an excellent hair. Uh, show. Madam Secretary's hair looked fresh and bouncy throughout her incredibly busy day, wouldn't you say? Yes. All right. So we're back at the White House. Things are getting real now. They're wondering about the State Department employee. He's been kidnapped. Uh, They think that he's been kidnapped by someone who stole the IDs of American, uh, you know, sympathizers working in Kabul with the American army. But it turns out that, no, these were actual Afghanis employed by the Americans. They've kidnapped him. And they're kind of holding him ransom because they were promised that their families and themselves would be allowed to go to the United States in safety if they helped them. And That has all fallen through. So they want the U.S. government to follow through on their promises to bring them and their families to safety in the United States. And we understand that the State Department employee is what I have here, quote, a low-value American. And you know, that's what I am, a low-value American. (laughs) If you're kidnapped, it's all over. It's all over. Nobody's coming in for you, Leanne. 
All right. So this sets up the tension between Madam Secretary and the new NSA advisor that the, the president has hired. And this guy, Julie, I, he looks like a, if Freddie Prince Jr. and Andy Garcia had a baby. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, isn't his face super familiar, but it is not quite any of those people? Right. I, that's I kept looking at him. I but, know. It, but, he's, but his character is instantly hateable. Yeah. And, uh, and there's a real tension between our Elizabeth and this new NSA uh, director, you know, that he is just uh, keeping her out of all the conversations with the president. She's been, she, as, uh, she's been given the Heisman, as uh, Madeleine Albright <laughs> says, right? Yeah. He's just pushing her out. He's pushing her out. There's definitely tension. You know, more mysteries surrounding the Russian president. All we know is at this ceremony now, the foreign minister shows up. This is someone with whom Elizabeth has a history. He seems to know everybody in the family. He knows Henry. He knows the kids. We're at the big ceremony. And this is a great scene with Madeleine Albright, I have to say. I mean, she's no actress. There's no Emmy forthcoming for <laughs> Secretary Albright. <laughs> But, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful with wonderful advice, right? Yeah. She's totally rocking that blue pantsuit. They both have like matching American Eagle pins on, yeah. which mm -hmm. I like it. And uh, here's what Secretary Albright tells Bess. Bess wants a private conversation with her afterwards so they can exchange this kind of information. Bess is concerned. She is being pushed out, getting the Heisman. What's she going to do? And Secretary Albright said, you know what? There's plenty of room for mediocre men in the world, but there's no room for mediocre women. That's right. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, really, that's a great piece of writing. That's it good advice. It was a great piece of writing. Yes, that is, that is deaf. Yeah, that was outstanding. <laughs> Albright doctrine right there. Right. There you go. And then we do learn about her doability doctrine. And, yeah. uh, and that is basically, if I can sum it up based on a speech she gave at the University of Chicago, I actually did a little research, uh, <laughs> weighing the most effective options for a specific crisis from sending in troops or imposing a no-fly zone to offering non-lethal assistance or giving humanitarian aid. There's a concept where you should maybe weigh the most effective option as opposed to the easiest or the most immediate or the most terrifying, the doability doctrine. So we get that. And then at the end, Julie, what did you think about that line at the end when Madeline's saying goodbye to Bess and says, oh, hey, let me call Condi and we'll grab lunch. Yeah, I love that. Okay, I mean, but they are cutting Hillary right out of the lunch, man. What's happening there? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Oh, yeah. So, oh, no, so they right. cut her out. Yeah. They cut her out. Hmm. Apparently, hmm. I just... I want to know what that was all about. Okay. And it also reminded me, I remember when Madeline Albright was on our show, we asked about um, sort of the girls club in Washington. Like, is there, you know, is there a consensus? Is it a nonpartisan effort that women in Washington stick together? And she said to a certain degree, but if I really have huge political differences with someone, no, like the, the, the fact that they're a woman does not trump the fact that I... I, I don't agree with them politically. Mm -hmm. So there you go. There's the doability doctrine on another fashion. So we have our Madeleine Albright sighting. It's great. You know, that floppy tie blouse at this point now, it's getting a starring role. I mean, she's got the, she's got the jacket off, Julie. She's I doing know. it with that blouse. I know, but it's sort of droopy because she's really in the middle of it. She's got quite, she's got quite a situation you know, uh, the, you know, she's got the situation in Afghanistan. She's got her daughter that she's worried about. Okay. I mean, they talked about heroin before eight o'clock in the morning. I mean, that was quite a bit, you know, and, uh, 
uh, you know, she just doesn't know which way to go. So she's taking the jacket off, right? Yeah, she's trying to understand now these people that have kidnapped the State Department guy. What is their motive? Are they decent people? Is this actually a true story? So she looks up their former CO, an American uh, colonel, lieutenant colonel, who conveniently lives in Washington, D.C. And how cute was he, Julie? I mean, he, how... has, been in, so he has been in some romantic uh, comedy movie land because wow. he so familiar. I could not figure out who that was. I mean, let's let's make more room for him in future roles. <laughs> yes. yes. I mean, I hello. think that would be a good idea, Lynn. <laughs> hello, Lieutenant Colonel Mike Wilkerson is what I yes. wrote in my notes. And, and his cute little Afghani dog. Yes. Yeah. Very, very cute. So uh, so it's all coming down now, Julie. There's a million storylines happening in the Situation Room. They're trying to get the low-level American asset out. Bess has wrangled a deal and gotten the president to agree to try to, you know, get the Afghans who have helped the Americans out as well and get their families. And they're all racing to the airbase and the Taliban's on them now. And there's a scuffle and, you know, the president kind of puts aside Bess's point of view and stands with the other guy. And uh, and the Afghanis go down. They go down. They do not get rescued. I know. I mean, it was all going, they were going to be rescued. It was all going well. And then the Taliban shows up. Doesn't, don't you hate that? Have you had days like that, Lee? I know. Where you think you finally got things back on, you know, the plates are all spinning. And then the Taliban shows up. I mean, it was going well. So, and every time yeah. we see a scene like that in the Situation Room where there are like all the chiefs, you know, the Joint Chiefs and things like that. Do you think that's really how it happens, that there's like 25 people watching? I mean, that's such a Hollywood trope in every movie, like, you know, everyone's watching and hundreds of people sitting around in that situation room. It just seemed like, uh, you know, could, don't those people have work to do and then well, they could get a call? <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand. Well, I mean, it seems like a pretty important thing. And, you know, Lee and we did see the Situation Room pictures, you know, when they were taking down Osama bin Laden. Oh. There were a lot of people in the room. You're right, Julie. I think it's pretty authentic. Okay. Yeah. All right. You're right. You're right. Although he was not a low-level American. I mean, it was Osama, no, no. Osama bin Laden. No. I don't know. Okay. So it looks like her world's longest day is over. They go home. There's a family dinner scene where uh, a, a talking stick is involved. It's almost not even worth explaining, is it? The mediation stick. I mean, that was a little everyone, hokey. Well, I think all families are trying to use any kind of techniques to deal with difficult situations. And everybody was supposed to make I statements, you know, and not accuse each other. But uh, there was there was some fighting going on. Right. Right. So they, you know, they're trying to reach a detente. They want to know where was Stevie all day? Where was Stevie? Like, you know, because the father has plenty of time in the middle of the day to recruit spies, to sign up Dimitri. <laughs> he's got him. He's held the sick sister over him. All that's happening. And stop by her, you know, classroom at Georgetown to have lunch. No one does that. Who does that? No one does that. <laughs> Your dad doesn't stop by to have lunch with you at college. But anyway, where's Stevie? Where's Stevie? And it turns out, Julie, where was she? She was taking the LSAT, Leon. <laughs> didn't even make sense to me. Okay, Don't so give in, Stevie. Don't give in. She's having the worst day of her life. Okay, she's having an identity crisis. And the way to solve that identity crisis is to go take a standardized test. Right. Now, she said she's good at standardized tests. So that's why she did it. <laughs> It seemed like know. a left turn, didn't it? I don't... It just... <laughs> 
But they were very, her parents were, Stevie's parents were very happy that she was going to be a lawyer. You know, it was like all is well now because she took the LSAT. And who, I just wanted to know who made that dinner. Like, where did that come from? That That was like a look delicious. I know that was not takeout pasta. Someone made that pasta. We don't know who seal team six. We think cooking, uh, cooking for MSEC while she's at work, you know, saving people. And then all of a sudden the Russian foreign minister shows up and he confirms that the Russian president is dead. You know, Mm -hmm. tells them they're the first people in America to know Henry and Bess because Henry knows everything, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, Mm -hmm. and, uh, this, the Russian foreign minister wants them to promise to keep an eye on his daughter, who, Olga, <laughs> Olga, who goes to Harvard Business School, yeah. of course. Yeah. But Leon, this is really where art imitates life, because it is known that when Vladimir Putin was in Ger- East Germany and he was working for the KGB early in his career and a member of Stasi, and this is when the whole, the wall came down and the Soviet Union collapsed, he reached out to a German to protect his kids during the, in a, in a similar fashion. Really? Yes. Good work. Good work. Kremlinologist. Okay. <laughs> so, so this was a very meaningful scene there at the end with the foreign minister saying, you know, take care of my kids. Mm-hmm. And Bess of course is in one of her many bathrobes. She has more yes, bathrobes than our mother. Uh, she, I thought, I thought people had stopped buying bathrobes, but not the Secretary of State. And then uh, our final, you know, in our final scene, we see Henry reeling in the Russian student. Now he's got him. The president's dead. Russia, as he know, as he has known, is over. So even though he's a great patriot, Julie, he does succumb. He wants his sister to be treated and get this special drug trial. So he agrees to work with Henry. So I think that'll be a good storyline. Yes. Yes. Well, it was so it was an amazing day, Liam. I mean, amazing. <laughs> it was. I mean, was that, you know, when my husband comes home every day and says, Hey, what'd you do today? I, I'm sometimes I got to dig deep, you know, (laughs) you have to tell him about the socks. Yeah. I mean, I got to dig deep for stuff, but not her. Every day is crazy. Every day is crazy for Madam Secretary, isn't it? Yeah. But it's a great, it's a great show. I I really enjoyed this episode. I, I can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, so, um, whew. I know. All right. We are the Satellite Sisters. If you have comments, you can always find us on Facebook. We have both an official page and a group page where there's a lot of chit chat back and forth. We love hearing from you. Uh, Just a reminder, our book, You're the Best, uh, Celebration of Friendship, comes out at the end of the month. You can find more information about that at SatelliteSisters.com. Julie, have a fantastic week. I mean, I feel like we just did a full day's work. (laughs) I do too, Leanne. I do too. We squeezed it out, man. We talked about a lot of things for Tuesday. There's a lot of information in this last show. So you take it easy, Julie. You too, Leanne. And don't forget. whatever your name is. (laughs) And don't forget, call your satellite sister.